me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, and uh, especially to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2. He was a tight-fisted old man, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, and that was Charles Dickens' description of Ebenezer Scrooge. It's funny, last week after I read that, I had two different guys come up to me. One of them said, because I had read it the week before also, every time you read that, my wife gives me one of these. (laughs) And the other one said, when you start reading that, I think you're talking about me. So uh, maybe maybe that confirms uh, a little bit of my theory that uh, maybe there there is some Scrooge in in all of us. Uh, This is our third week in the series, The Real Christmas Carol, What the Truths of Christ Could Teach Mr. Scrooge. Now, I was intrigued uh, by that thought when uh, we decided to present uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol for our dessert theater, and it was a great production. But it got me thinking about uh, what, what, what did Mr. Scrooge really, really need to hear and people who are like him. So the, the first week, we talked about seeking happiness in things will lead to an empty life. And then the second week, last week, we thought about the, the ghosts of Christmas past and how we can deal with past regrets and past things in our life. And uh, so today, if you remember the story, uh, Scrooge is visited first by Marley, his deceased partner. And then he is visited by uh, three ghosts, and Marley says this is what's going to happen You're going to be visited by these three ghosts during the night. He was, and uh, their visits spurred a transformation. Now, most of us realize, if you've studied literature at all, you've had the teacher say, uh, if if they uh, are understanding things of the faith, that there are themes in literature that reflect uh, biblical themes. And I think this actually is one of them as well. The Bible indicates clearly that the world was in deep darkness. And it was a darkness that, that the world couldn't do anything about. And so it took a visitor from somewhere else in order to address that darkness. 
Now the question is, why was it necessary for one from another world to come to address it? So let's take a look at what uh, the Word of God has to say in John, first of all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then over in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through uh, fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, would you be our teacher today? There is so much going on in the lives of everyone in this room. For some, it's great and wonderful things. For others, it's hard and difficult things. And for most, it's a mixture of both. But we need to hear from you today, Lord. And so we pray that you would open your word and teach our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So why did the answer have to come from another world? The first reason is that no one in this world qualified, but Jesus did. No one in this world qualified. Romans 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the key there is while we were still sinners. That's, we were the ones in darkness and we weren't able to bring the light because of our nature. And that is a nature of sin. 
and darkness. We see initially, until sin came into the world, there was that perfect communion with God. And then Adam, as our federal head, we say, in other words, our representative, he sinned. And so what happened then is that that was passed down to all of his posterity for all time, and that's us, that's all of us. And so we're born with that sin nature. But lest you say, well, that's not fair. We're all also guilty of actual sin. And so we will do what our nature dictates. And in our case, that's sin. So we could not be the answer. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so, where's that, what, how does that fit with, with Jesus? Well, Jesus was born under the law as well. But he was born under the law in order to fulfill the law. Whereas for us, the law points out our shortcomings because we break it again and again. For him, he fulfilled it. We often use that phrase, he lived the life we needed to live and he died the death that we deserve to die. That's why it was necessary for one from another world to come. So here's the results. Hebrews 2, verse 16. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I have... I've mentioned a, a number of times and quoted him uh, in various contexts and various quotes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. One of the things that he wrote, he, he was uh, a pastor in Germany that uh, was opposed to Adolf Hitler, and he was put in prison. Ultimately, he was uh, executed. But while in prison... He, he wrote letters, and he also wrote a journal, and a, a letter to his fiancée said this, A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. You get it? He's saying that's, that's what Advent really is. 
that we can't, you know, like if you're in prison, you can't burst through that door. And so it has to, if you're ever going to walk out that door, it's got to be open from the outside. No one on earth qualified to open the door, so Jesus came. The second thing we see is that that showed the love of the Father. 1 John 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's the the third time I've mentioned propitiation today. Uh, I avoided it the first two times. Let's talk about what propitiation really is. And we we often don't think of that as a, a, a Christmas doctrine. And yet, it is, it is tied to the incarnation as well. So what, what in the world does propitiation mean? By the way, you could put other words in there like atoning sacrifice. Some of your versions may say that. But I don't want us to lose that unique uh, theological word, propitiation. But we should have some idea what it's talking about. It means appeasing one who is angry. Now, why is God angry? Because we're lawbreakers. And it is utterly offensive to His holiness when His law is broken even once, much less millions and millions of times. Now, look, I know. Lots of people don't like to talk about the anger of God. And yet, if we ignore the wrath of God, we diminish the worth of the death of Christ for us. If God is nothing but love, then we diminish what Christ went through for us. Bearing all of the wrath of God for all of His people for all time. That's what propitiation is. And it would take an infinite sacrifice. It could not just be a good person. It had to be the perfect one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus opened the door of relationship to God that we could never open. C.S. Lewis uh, said, It's like a shepherd becoming a lamb in order to sacrifice himself to save the rest of the flock. That's, that's the incarnate. That's a simple way to picture the incarnation. The shepherd becomes a lamb and somehow gives himself as a sacrifice so that the rest of the flock is safe. That's what the incarnation is. 
and that's what propitiation is. So not only did it show the Father's great love for us, but it showed that He gets us. He understands us. Uh, J.I. Packer wrote in Knowing God, the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. And he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. And I read to you earlier from Hebrews. But in Hebrews 4, this is what it says. Since then, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but uh, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So, so... The writer of Hebrews is emphasizing that he he gets it. He knows feelings that you are feeling. He's faced things like you are facing. And that should give us confidence as we pray to him that he's not just a God somewhere out there, but he's one that dwelt among us. So he gets you. If nobody else in the world gets you, he does. I read uh, an interesting article about uh, the age man suit. Um, This is is a a German uh, doctor who uh, she is a professor in a medical school, and, and her dilemma was this. How do you teach, you know, very young, early 20s medical students what it's like to be an old person? You know, you can do PowerPoint, you know, demonstrations. You can let them read stuff and everything. And so she, she came up with uh, this age man suit and uh, here's, here's what it, it consists of ear protectors that stifle hearing, uh, a yellow visor that blurs eyesight and makes it hard to distinguish colors, um, knee, and uh, uh, by the, I, I can see some are probably doing this again, right? Uh, knee and elbow pads which stiffen joints, a Kevlar jacket-style vest that presses uncomfortably against the chest, padded gloves, it weigh, and it weighs over uh, 22 pounds. Um, I'm afraid to see what it looks like. I'm afraid it looks strangely like me, you know, so. <laughs> so I didn't see a picture of it. But, but she says this, my aim is to turn young, energetic people into slow, creaking beings 
temporarily at least. And I, really, I think it's brilliant. You know, they would have, at least in a temporary way, uh, a little bit of a feel. Think what Jesus did. Here is the God of the universe taking on a clunky, limited human body, human feelings, everything that it is to be human. And he took it on in order to relate to us. It showed also God's desire to be among us. John 1, verse 14 that I read earlier, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's the thing. We cannot work our way to Him. Every other world religion, that's what it's about. It's about what you have to do, whether it is obedience or following a book or a pilgrimage or various other things. It's what you have to do in order to work your way to God. The bottom line is that you can work your way to a man-made God. Because man will invent gods that they can work their way to. But if he's really the God of the universe, there is no way we can work our way to him. And so he came to us. That's the glory of the incarnation. Then he came. He grew up among us. He had a ministry among us. He died among us and for us. And then before ascending uh, to the Father, he said this. After he had given what we call the Great Commission, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let me give you We've had four points. Let me give you four brief applications here. Since no one in the world qualified and Jesus did, Augustine said this, God became a man so that following a man, something you're able to do, you might reach God which was formerly impossible to you. That's the incarnation. And then secondly, since the Father showed His great love for us, I want you to picture the Father just for a moment. We have to use our our sanctified imagination Picture what kind of love it would take for the father who has one son to, as it were, go to the edge of heaven and bid him farewell. 
knowing that he was going to his death and to bear wrath from yourself. We don't have a category for that. We can't compare that to no human being. We would say, no, that, that is not going to happen. And so what it should do for us is to absolutely drive us to worship. That's not something anyone can do for another except out of the love of God for us, the love of the Father for His Son, and the love of the Son for the Father. That should enhance our worship. Thirdly, since he showed that he gets us, he understands us, listen to this quote from Dorothy Sayers. She said, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us. And he thought it was all worth his while. Absolutely, that is unique to Christianity. Other religions say God can't and won't suffer. In fact, they call this blasphemy. And yet in Christianity, this is the glory of the Christ the glory of our Savior. One commentator in terms of uh, uh, this. Well, one, one more thing. Let's go with uh, the fourth point since we know God's desire to be among us. Think about the lasting effects of the incarnation. Now, here's what we know. He came and He dwelt among us. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He walked the earth for a short time, and then He ascended into heaven. And so the question is, is He no longer with us? And the answer is, He so showed His desire to be among us that not only did He come, but the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the councils of eternity had the plan that when Jesus would ascend, the Holy Spirit would descend and live in His people. And so it's never about us going and trying to be where Jesus is, do some kind of a pilgrimage if He were walking the earth. People would be following and trying to go where He is. But instead, in the infinite wisdom of God, He dwells, the Spirit of Christ, 
dwells within us. So wherever we are, whatever we are going through, we don't have to say, I wish Jesus was here. <clears throat> if, you were, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, He dwells within you. He's in there. The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. Larson says, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. He has intruded. But thanks be to God, and may that make all the difference in what we face this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your glorious intrusion into a world that didn't want the light and yet needed it so desperately. And thank you for your glorious intrusion into those you have called by your name that weren't even seeking you. And yet you intruded and gave new hearts. And thank you that your word makes it clear that no matter what we're going through, you will never leave us or forsake us. Thanks be to God. Amen.